Good morning. It's good to see you all again. It feels like we've been away forever. <laughs> I'm going to start with the reading in Hebrews 5:11, and then go over into Hebrews 6, 1 to 3. Now about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about the washings, the lying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we do, if God permits. This is the word of God. Bibles that's on one of the chairs that's close to you or underneath your chair. In the smaller print version of the Bible, it's page 649. And in the bigger print, it's on a different page. We are in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, beginning verse 11. It, it, I'm excited today. I don't know if you can tell or not. I took off my mask, so you can now see I'm smiling. But what, what a wonderful special day here at River City Church, recognizing all of the blessings of the, uh, the babies and the young children that God has blessed us with. It's so exciting. And as I said earlier, children are a blessing from the Lord. And uh, I've joked a lot that that's not just a fact to recognize, but it's also a statement to remember on those hard days of raising children, we have to remind ourselves that children are a blessing from the Lord. And on those days when we are totally exasperated and we just want to pull our hair out, sometimes we say, oh, children are a blessing from the Lord, right? We have to remind ourselves that's from the Bible. And it might be sarcastically spoken, but it is true. And one thing that I've learned by having children is that everyone is an expert until they have children, and ourselves included. I, I heard a, uh, a quote from a guy one time who said, uh, I think he was a psychologist or something, he said, before I got married, I had six theories on how to raise a child, and now I have six children and no theories. <laughs> and even when you have a kid, you think, okay, now I've got one, I can figure this out, right? And then you have another one, and you're like, oh my goodness, this one is totally different. And it looks kind of like this one, just a little bigger, but they are, can you believe these two came from the same parents? Sometimes I ask myself that question because they are so different. And, you know, without going into too many details, I'll tell you that uh, a personal story. One time we had trouble uh, with one of our kids, potty training one of our kids. And I was sharing this frustration that we were having with an older friend of mine in my last church. And he had four children of his own. And some of them were in middle school and in high school. And he told me that he and his wife struggled with the exact same thing when their kids were younger, especially just one of their daughters. And finally, he said, you know what? This girl is going to be potty trained someday. She is not going to go to college in diapers. <laughs> and, and thinking about that helped them to relax a little, knowing that every child grows in their own way at their own speed. But you know what? Every child grows. Well, what if children didn't grow? What if my friend came into church one day pushing his 16-year-old daughter in a baby carriage and she was wearing baby clothes and drinking out of a bottle? And you would say, something is not right with this picture. 
this dad needs a talking to because this isn't right, right? Something is wrong. And if this child didn't grow, it would be a serious problem. If the child remains immature, there's a problem here. In fact, it's a, it could be a very serious problem, a problem that needs to be addressed. And we all know this, right? So why do we act like that's not a problem in the church? Why do we act like it's not a problem? Why do we allow our brothers and sisters to think that not growing spiritually is not a big deal? Or it's not a problem that needs to be addressed? Or it's not an emergency that needs some intervention? It is a big deal. Don't think that not growing for a Christian is an option. It's, it's not an option. You need to be willing to look yourself in the mirror and you need to be willing to ask yourself hard questions and you need to be willing to open yourself up to the Lord and open yourself up maybe to another person. Ask, am I growing in the Lord? Do I desire to grow in the Lord? That's an important question. And what are the dangers of not growing? What are the dangers if you say, I don't really care, I don't really want to grow? Because to me, that's a bigger problem. Yes, we need to ask, how can I grow spiritually? How can I grow spiritually? But I want that to be your desire. I want you to, to learn how to grow and why it's important. Spiritual growth is important. You know, the author of Hebrews has been teaching these big truths like Jesus is greater. That's our whole sermon series through the book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater. And that's kind of broad, but it's important. And we started with Jesus, that God communicates, and Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron and the whole priesthood. But then he pauses here at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, or most of chapter 6, to give another warning. Because he's not just trying to fill their head with, with knowledge. It's not just head knowledge, but instead he wants them to be having head knowledge, but growing in the Lord. He wants them to be growing. He wants them to recognize when they aren't growing and how to grow. You see, a follower of Christ must be growing spiritually through listening, through learning, and through leaning on Jesus. A follower of Christ must be growing spiritually through listening, learning, and leaning on God. That's the big idea for today's message, and the lessons that we learn here today are just as relevant today as they were to the original hearers of this message. We can sometimes find ourselves, hopefully, but maybe not, but recognize that sometimes we're in that stage of, of spiritual infancy or sliding towards spiritual laziness, whether on purpose or whether on accident. And we need to work against those sinful tendencies. And so this message today might be a little difficult to hear. As I said, this is one of those warning passages. There's six warning passages in Hebrews. This is the third one. And this one gets a little close here. The author is a good preacher, you know, talking about Jesus and using scripture and and we can hear everything that is being said in the book of Hebrews and say, amen, you know, this is right here to all of his teachings about who Jesus is. And he's a great preacher. And we say, yeah, he's a great preacher. But then he starts meddling. You know what I'm talking about? Some uh, people say, you know, preaching is one thing. But when you start, you know, getting a little personal, well, that's meddling in people's businesses, right? You get a little too close. You're stepping on people's toes. The author here, he, he doesn't stay in his lane. And he starts addressing some topics that really hit close to home and could really have caused people to pause and be like, you know, all right, Jesus is greater. And then he says, and about you, he'd be like, whoa, wait a second. About, wait a second. You know, this is a good thing. And I hope that this maybe this might be a wake-up call for you. This might be a, 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 something that would spur you onto hearing what the word has to say. Because if you, 
if your growth has stalled, if you're not growing, then you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position spiritually. The writer here, he gives four characteristics for these spiritual infants. He says they don't listen very well, they are forgetful, they are unskilled, and they are undiscerning. And those descriptions are pretty good for, um, of any toddler. They don't listen to you, they forget what you tell them, they can't do anything for themselves, and they have no idea what is right from wrong or safe or dangerous. <laughs> and that's the spiritual condition of the original readers of this letter. Remember, he is teaching about how Jesus uh, became fully human, how Jesus is able to take us to the throne of grace because he is fully God, and how Jesus has a greater position. And that stuff is all good, but, and he's going to go back to that too, but first of all, he has this little aside for a few chapters. And look at um, chapter 5, verse 11. It says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Wait a minute, did he just call his listeners dull? <laughs> what kind of preacher is this? I mean, he's not calling them stupid, though. So understand this, he's not concerned about them intellectually. He's not calling them a bunch of dummies. He is concerned about them spiritually. And the word dull there can mean sluggish, lethargic, negligent, or lazy. It was used for slaves who wouldn't respond immediately to their master's instructions. In sports, that word was used for an athlete that was lazy and out of shape. In the Old Testament, it was used for slothful men who refused to tackle hard work. And the recipients of this letter are lazy in hearing. It points to their inattention to the public proclamation of biblical teaching. And it's not as if they are unable to listen. They, the problem is they're not bothering to listen. Or as my mom would say, everything that's being spoken to you is going in one ear and out the other. You know, and as a kid, you're always like, that's a funny thing to think about, you know what I mean? And my mom's trying to give me some instruction here. She say, no, you're not listening to me. It's going in one ear and out the other. It's not sticking. And so another way you can explain this, what he's saying here is using the word numb. It describes those who couldn't care less about the study of Holy Scripture. Have you ever found yourself hearing the word of God in a sermon but feeling numb, zoned out, or a little bit lazy? And that's what the writer is trying to communicate here. The NIV translates this as, you no longer try to understand. And the Christian Standard Bible says you have become too lazy to understand. And the verb usage here indicates to us the reason why you didn't grow. It indicates the current result of an action that was finalized in the past. In other words, he's saying like, you crossed that bridge a long time ago. You are spiritually lazy and ignorant because a long time ago you stopped listening. And now you find yourself in this condition of being uh, spiritually lazy, ignorant, dumb, you're numb to what's being spoken to you. So the first sign of spiritual immaturity is hearing but not listening. So it's hearing but not listening. And then the second is that they are forgetful. The teacher says, I have to keep returning to the basics of teaching that you should have already heard, that you already did hear from the Word of God. Literally, he says, this is the ABCs of the Christian faith. In school, our students learn, well, everything they learn builds on everything else they already know. So you teach little kids letters and numbers, and then you add sounds to those letters, and then you, add, you form those together to form words, and then those form sentences, and those form paragraphs, in order to gain learning comprehension. 
Our son's second grade teacher told us last year that in third grade, he would go from learning to read to reading to learn. And so you can't skip anything. Because if you do, you're going to miss something, and everything builds on everything else that you've already learned. Imagine if teachers had to go back to kindergarten at the start of every school year and reteach the ABCs, right? You'd never, you wouldn't grow. The kids wouldn't get past what they needed to get past because there wouldn't be enough time in the school year, right? So you build on what they learned last year, and you take what they learned, and you grow from it. And that's what the author is telling his listeners here. And he kind of sounds a little bit frustrated. He's saying, we got to always start at the beginning with y'all. We got to always keep going back to square one all the time. And he's saying, it's not because you guys are stupid. It's because you're not listening and you're not learning. And honestly, he says, the root is, is that you're being selfish. You're being selfish. The audience of this letter, he, he's telling them, you ought to be teachers by now. Because they have the foundational message and they've heard it so much. And so what we see is that instead of becoming um, givers, they're just only takers in the church. They have become like high-maintenance toddler Christians. Do toddlers do the dishes? We wish they did, right? <laughs> do toddlers clean their rooms? Do they help make dinner? No, all of these things have to be done for them because toddlers are 100% takers, and that's not their fault. They're toddlers. Well, imagine now if you're 16 and you're still doing those things or 35, or 55, or 75, and you're still doing those things, something could be seriously wrong. And it's the same with spiritual health and spiritual growth. Have you got to the point where you're not just taking, but you're actually starting to give back? Are you serving others? Are you helping others to learn? Or are you like a grown-up toddler, he says? The third characteristic of, uh, of the spiritually immature is in verse 13. He says they are unskilled in the words of righteousness. The phrase words of righteousness there means God's word. And so these people, um, these people have not learned how to rightly understand God's word. They have not grown in their knowledge of the word of God. And he says they are unskilled or they're like, they're like little children. And you know that we have never had easier access to God's word than anybody in all of history, right? On our phones, on our tablets, on our computers, everywhere we look. Maybe even Alexa would tell you the word. I don't really know. But it's like everywhere you turn where you have the internet, you could have an app that, has, that gives you God's word right in front of you. But every year, more and more, we know that spiritual ignorance and basic Bible knowledge, that just is going out the window. Every year, uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research do a joint study that they release called the State of Theology. And the results are always interesting. Some would say shocking, but nothing shocks me anymore. For instance, just to name two, they said that 30% of evangelicals apparently reject the deity of Christ. And 46% who believe of evangelicals believe that people are good by nature. Of course, that's, that's ridiculous. Apparently, somebody doesn't have their definitions correct. Because as Christians, we know, number one, we are a sinner. That's what you have to admit to, having G, to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, is that you can't save yourself. So we know that's ridiculous there, but you know what? Those stats that they release from these surveys aren't just about people in the church, but they do reveal that outside of the church, I mean, which is not surprising, outside of the church, a basic Christian worldview is just going further and further and further away. But like I said, even inside the church, it does reveal that um, people who go to church, even people who go to church regularly, have less biblical knowledge every year. They're like babies that are stuck on spiritual milk. 
And that is tragic. Or the way you can, uh, or the way the language is written here, uh, it literally can be read, you have become having need of milk, not solid food. In other words, the people aren't just stuck on milk. They have begun to eat solid food at one time, but they have gone back to the bottle. And the truth is, is there is really, like I said, that's tragic. And there's no such thing as a static Christian. We're either going forward or we're falling back. We're either climbing or we're falling. There is no plateau because no one drifts towards righteousness. No one drifts towards God. We drift away from God. We drift into sin. But first of all, a caveat. I want to be clear here that if you are new in the faith, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Milk is good. It's fine if it's where you're at. The commandment, the comment here is not meant to disparage those newer Christians. Continue to partake in God's word as God leads you. 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn infants, he says, long for spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. And so don't just pick up the Bible and try to read and be like, I don't understand this, and throw it across the room. He says, get the spiritual milk that you need, and God will grow you. Grow into salvation, 1 Peter 2.2 2 says. The encouragement is for those who, what he's really pointing at and trying to get in the face of those people who have been attending for a long time, who have been part of the body for a long time, but who aren't really growing. Those people that, you know, the Holy Spirit could say to that person, you know better. Probably a lot more clear than I could. The Holy Spirit could get into your face and say, come on, you know better. You know, and the fourth characteristic of the spiritually immature is in verse 14 right here. It, and it comes to us as a reversal here. He says, the mature, solid eating, you know, solid food eating Christian is the one who is perceptive, who is able to have discernment. The milk drinking, fake mature Christian is flabby. And I mean that not in a physical sense. I mean that in a spiritual sense. But the phrase trained by constant practice right here, that is an allusion to athletic training, which requires developing uh, physically healthy habits. When you don't do that spiritually, then there's no spiritual muscle to determine right from wrong on ethical issues, on doctrinal issues. And I think that's a great comparison that the Bible uses regularly. The Bible uses these comparisons of athletic training in order to help us understand a spiritual truth. If you want to run a marathon or if you want to run a half marathon, I've never done a marathon, but I've done two half marathons. And I will tell you, do not start training the week before. <laughs> I've seen people who have tried to run a half marathon starting the training a week before. And trust me, it does not end well for that person. You have to build up your mileage. You have to add a mile every week to your long run to add up to 13 or 14 miles before your race. And it takes a long time to get into shape. So you have to plan out your schedule. And that is true if you're going to run a long-distance race. And it's also true spiritually. You know, um, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, have, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. So spiritual maturity doesn't come from an isolated event. And it doesn't come from a big spiritual burst. It comes from a steady application of spiritual discipline. That's why we talk about the ordinary means of grace. Don't neglect those seemingly ordinary, seemingly mundane 
Maybe you think unimportant at the time, but don't, don't neglect those things that God has given you to help you grow spiritually. Like reading your Bible and spending time in prayer and attending church and fighting against those sins in your life. The elders of the church have tried to put together some information to help other people grow. Uh, there's a pamphlet back on the welcome table that says a blueprint for spiritual growth that I would encourage you to take a look at. Um, some tools that might help you in your journey of learning more, of going deeper in your walk. Or if you have any questions, talk to one of the elders, Frank or Tom or myself, and uh, maybe they could help direct you to, to tools that would help you grow in your spiritual growth. I think that's, that's so important. If somebody says, hey, I want to grow. How, do you have any advice in, in this manner? I, I, I know we would be so excited for that. We talked about in course seminar at 9 a.m. what our roles is as elders. And part of that is we are excited about seeing people grow in the Lord. And we want to encourage you and help you by praying for you and help you grow spiritually. And we want you to be growing in the Lord. And, you know, he gives these advice here. The author here, he goes to this next verse. And it begins in chapter 6, verse 1, with the word, therefore. See, our call is to respond with a striving for growth. When he says, leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, he's not saying get rid of that foundation. He's not saying you don't have to learn about Jesus anymore. He's not saying we abandon Jesus Christ so we can go on to something different. He says this is a starting point that we're going to start from, that we're going to build on. So we start here and we move ahead. It's a place to grow from. It's not a place to move away from. So the first way we do that, like I said earlier, is by being a good listener. Like the author says in verse 11, he says that he has much to say about this. You know, and as you look at the whole book of Hebrews, right? And as you're reading through the book of Hebrews, we've been preaching through this. And imagine somebody's preaching this and they get to this point And he's, you know, in verse uh, 10, what we talked about two weeks ago, he, he starts talking about Melchizedek, and it's, it's kind of something we don't, we don't preach about Melchizedek very often in church, right? And he's talking about Melchizedek being after the, um, Jesus as a great high priest after that order, and it's a little confusing. I tried to make it clearer two weeks ago. And then he says, um, you know, we have much to say about this, but you know what? You're a doll of hearing. I'm out of here. You know, if, he doesn't say that, does he? Which I would think he gets to this point and just be like, you guys aren't even listening to me, and just throws the book out, you know, and just walks off the stage. You know, that's not what he does here. I think it's so interesting that I read that verse, but then the book of Hebrews doesn't end there, does it? He goes on for like eight more chapters. He ain't through yet. He's like, you're not going to get this, so let me explain it to you, okay? And he continues to explain what he's doing, and he goes on. I mean, chapter seven, um, he goes on for like two, three, four more chapters about this topic. So he's not going away from the topic. He's introduced it, and he's now taken this point right here to say, listen up, listen to me, learn, and lean on God for this understanding. That's why we always pray that God, through the, you know, would, through the Holy Spirit, would help us to understand his word as we open it up. And when you open up your word, I mean, when you open up your copy of God's scripture at home, begin with, God, help me to understand your word. Help me to understand these truths that are complicated and, and teach me from your, from your word today. That's how you should begin your time of, of reading. Because uh, we read God's word and we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. I remember when I was a, a little kid growing up in church, you know, I, it was a wonderful blessing and uh, to have a, a mom and dad and 
family that would take me to church like a lot of you guys are doing. It's so, so neat. And I remember at my church, it was just a little country church, but there was a, a little old lady who never missed, never missed church. And I am not kidding when I say this lady never missed church. And she would just scoot along. She would walk two blocks to church, rain or shine, snow or sleet, it didn't matter. And she always had her Bible and she always had a notebook. And she would sit there with her notebook open. And regardless of how the sermon was that day, and regardless of who was preaching, whether they're a good preacher or a bad preacher, in somebody else's eyes, it didn't matter because God's word was open and she was writing notes. And who knows how many notebooks that lady filled in her time sitting in that church. And who knows how many people she influenced through her example of her study of Scripture. Always getting something out of Scripture. Always learning from God's word. The 17th century English Puritan preacher Richard Baxter, in his essay he wrote called Directions for Profitability, Hearing the Word of Preached, he gave this wise advice. He said, make it your work with diligence to apply the word that you're hearing. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further than they are carried on by force. He says, you have work to do as well as the preacher and should all the time be as busy as he. You must open your mouths and digest it, for another cannot digest it for you. Therefore, be all the while at work and abhor an idle heart in hearing as well as an idle minister. I love that, that little phrase there. And like I said, I love thinking about my history and because um, I know that it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching God's people. God is doing his work through his word in his people for his glory. So it doesn't matter whether it's me or somebody else that's giving you God's word. And like he said here, don't just blame it all on the preacher if you're not growing, is what he says. He says, we both should be busy. We both should be active. The person who's preaching the word and the person who's receiving the word. And it's God who gets glorified through his word working in your life. So that's great advice. 400 years ago, or whether it's 40 years ago, or whether it's today. Make it your work to apply the word that you're hearing. So the second solution after listening is to learn. Start with the foundation of Christ and move forward. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in 10 and 11, he said, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation, and we build from that with what God has given to us. And the author of Hebrews, he gives six examples of, of basic lessons that we begin with and that we grow from. And there are six that are grouped into three pairs of two. So, yeah, three pairs grouped into pairs. Three. Anyway, the first pair has to do with salvation. He says, um, repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. Repentance from dead works. Those can include any kind of sinful behaviors like 1 Peter 4.3 says, um, uh, the time in the past we did what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So those are some of the dead works that he said we need to repent from. Also, good works that we think are going to be salvific. Doing a baby dedication is not a good work that earns the child's salvation. And the same way as an adult, going to church or giving money or serving another person, that's not a good work that's going to make God love you anymore. Those are dead works. That's what he says. And he says, have faith in God. 
So we see in Scripture in Acts 20, 21, and in other places, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. They go together when we talk about salvation. So you repent, you turn away from those dead works, you turn away from those sins, and you turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what salvation, no one is saved apart from calling on the name of Jesus Christ. And then you have these mentions, ceremonial washings, and then laying on of hands. So these two things could be a reference to their, their, a lot of these, this is written in the book of Hebrews, I mean, written to the Hebrews, so these are Jewish believers. So this could be a reference to their Jewish faith about washings, and it also could be a reference to the new meaning that baptism have, that like I said, baptism is not a way to earn salvation. Those of us who are in Christ, we have followed the Lord's obedience through the act of baptism. So we don't get the cart in front of the horse that way. So, but you understand that's what that means. And then these symbols of laying on of hands, that was used as a, a, a new work of the Lord in somebody's life. It was used to welcome people into the congregation. It was a, symbolize, a symbolization of being a part of the family of God. And then the third pair he lists here is resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. Now, this is uh, the Christian's understanding of the basic fact that Jesus will come back again. Jesus will come again. He will judge the world. And those who love him and who are called by him and who have repented and put their trust in Jesus will spend eternity with him. So he lists, these are some of the core doctrines. These are the things that every Christian, however immature, knows. But what our author is saying is, is that you can't stop there. You have to continue to learn. You know, and he ends there with this, this challenge. And like I said, he goes on and he, he continues to teach for eight more chapters. He knows that this is a tough topic, but he's going to continue to teach them and they're going to continue to grow. And he says um, in verse 11, uh, we go on as he says, what he's using here is... Uh, He's basically saying, we don't grow on our own effort. We grow by trusting in the Holy Spirit to help us to grow. And they're going to, be, uh, they're going to continue to grow as they trust in the Holy Spirit. The perfect illustration is, I think, is, is a wind and a sail. So if you want to go sailing, then you have, to do, you have to put up the sail. And then the sail just hangs there. You don't put up the sail, sit in the boat, and start blowing on the sail, right? And say, I'm going to go sailing, <laughs> You're not strong enough to get that boat to move. The Holy Spirit fills your sail and carries you along. And that's how you grow. And that's kind of the final point that I made earlier, is that we lean on God for our growth. You see verse 3, he says, um, and this we will do if God permits. And so I want to end with that encouragement for you, is that God does desire for you to grow in the Lord. God does desire that you will grow, that you will trust in him, that you will grow in him. And that's an encouragement to me as I look at this book of Hebrews because the author believes that the recipients are going to rise to the occasion, that they're going to build on those elementary foundations, that they're going to continue to grow. And he's confident of this. And we are confident in the Lord that the Lord is going to help us to grow. That's my prayer for you. That's my encouragement for you today is that the Lord is going to help you to grow because 
you know, I don't want you to be satisfied with a milk-only diet when God is offering you a wonderful steak dinner. And God wants you to grow into maturity. It's for your own benefit and it's for God's glory that you grow in him. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would do this work in our lives that only you can do. Help us to turn from sin. And if we are a believer, help us to see that sin in our own life, how it's destructive and deadly, and help us to repent, to confess, and to turn from that sin. And help us to grow, Lord. Help us to listen to you, to learn from your word, and to lean on the Holy Spirit in our life, growing in you. We pray that you would grow us for your own glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.